John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 385.PR1513, certificate number 42013. Duchenne smiles. Are you dating? No. Why not? Y you know what? A, a date is an experience you have with another person that makes you appreciate being alone. LOL. LOL. You like saying that, don't you? It's cute, right? No, not, not, not really. What do you mean? I mean, if you're going to laugh out loud, why aren't you laughing out loud? Why say it? Why not just laugh? It takes more muscles to frown than to smile, according to the old adage. Right, that's what they say. They say that by way of trying to shame you into being happy. Right, by implying that it's lazier, apparently. Yeah. It's much easier and less good for your muscles to smile, so do that. Yeah, you're trying hard to be sad is, is the implication. We should explain to our possibly faceless listeners that smiles and frowns are different expressions we use to convey, respectively, some kind of positive emotion versus some kind of negative emotion. We're, we're capable of both consciously shaping our faces to communicate our feelings or thoughts, but also it, it's an unconscious thing as well, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes people are not aware of what their uh, facial expressions signify. We have the phenomenon of resting bitch face in right. our time, by which people who look kind of sour and unpleasant when they're not doing a face, like me, right. get comments you from, from passersby. and unpleasant. You kind of have a, a very, I think you feel like you have a, do you feel like, what do you feel your resting face is? Do it right now. Nobody can see but me, but let's see it. Yeah. Thoughtful. Open. Well, I'm glad it feels open. I mean, I, I, I guess my sense is that I'm, I look like I'm judging. Oh. Uh, but I'm, but, but not judgmental. I, I just feel like uh, I'm always, uh, I'm imp impassive or outside. I think what I do is, um, I want to be thought of as a thoughtful person. So my default expression has a slightly oh, knitted brow. Sure, you're furrowing. Yeah, I'm furrowing because there's always just so much going on. But really, <laughs> it just makes me look unpleasant. You know, mm. like I'm glowering all the time. And in fact, the adage is not true that it really, yeah, the average, a small smile does take more muscles than a, a small frown. Yeah. The average human smile, it takes like 12 to smile and 11 to frown. Huh. Plus, plus, shouldn't we do the harder one? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we try to attain hard things and, and bulk up those muscles? Well, it also seems like it's one of those things where, I mean, there are only so many muscles in a face. They're all charged with duties. It's not like you have 
muscles that are just dormant all the time until you orgasm. And it's just like, oh, those are the orgasm muscles. They only engage <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like you, they, right. we're using those muscles all the time to do all kinds of things, including chew and sneeze. and Yeah, they're not just for smiling or right. for frowning. Right. But that might be part of their evolutionary purpose, as we shall see. The smiling muscles are much stronger, if that's any kind of a basis for a bumper sticker. Well, I don't know whether it's because I tend to be a... Uh, uh, morbid or depressed person, but it but it feels more unnatural to smile. Like frowning just seems more like what your face kind of edges into, whereas smiling is much more of a conscious, unless someone's tickling me or unless something delightful happens, like a cat video comes up on my Twitter. And your face lights up. I mean, my face is smiling now just because I, you know, I'm having a good time. Oh, people can hear it. Yeah. Uh, the uh... You know, you can hear uh, a smile. You can. That's an unusual phenomenon that podcasting has made me aware of. And uh, and I wonder if our listeners can tell when we're happy or not. I'm sure they can. We should give them samples. Here's the here's the waveform of me saying something I'm happy Ken about. Ken is really smiling right now. And here's the waveform of me saying something where I'm not smiling. This is my normal thing. There, well, there it just sounded a little lower, I guess. If you look at pictures of Eddie Vedder singing in the studio, he has this enormous, you know, sort of like rigor mortis <laughs> right. smile uh, to his face, but he's actually doing it because that it's audible in the... That's what produces those weird vowels that no language has. Well, and because he sings in a deeper register, I think he uses his the shape of his face more to achieve his pitch and, and get a clear tone. Because if he was singing low like that and also with a kind of rubber face, like you would, you would think... You know, like it would sound muddy, whereas he's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. But he's got his mouth all smiling. I would describe my resting face as a baseball pitcher caught mid fastball. You, you know those photos <laughs> where yeah. the arm is at some impossible angle, yeah. oblique angle, and the face is like, Guillaume uh, Duchenne de Bologna mm, was oh, a sure. important French neuroscientist of Guillaume the Duchenne de Bologna. Yes. So, but why is he from Bologna? He, because most of his findings were just bull. They were. <laughs> he, his real name was Guillaume Duchenne, but people who didn't agree with his text just called Said him. Said he was from Bologna? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Come on. No. Uh, he's actually not from Bologna, the uh, Italian city. With Bologna. The, with the famous medieval university. And, and not the meat, by the way. They don't have Bologna in, in Italy. Yeah, I know. They call it mortadella. Is that the closest thing to bologna? Yeah, it's well, you know, in Europe they have seven hundred and fifty thousand kinds of meat, identical tubes. lunch meats, tube meats. <laughs> <laughs> they are ready for the space age. They mm -hmm. have all. They put all their food in tubes. Basically, any any animal that walks or flies or swims, you can grind it and put it into its own intestine, and then boil it in a pot. Oh, I was picturing literal toothpaste tubes, like how. Like they will squeeze oh. out liverwurst from a toothpaste tube. Scandinavians will squeeze out fish eggs from Absolutely a toothpaste tube. Absolutely, they do. I want to 3D print a something in the shape of a toothpaste tube, but it's actually made out of that intestine casing. And I want yeah. to get toothpaste out of it. Oh, I want, come on. I want that feel of kielbasa every time I, every time I squeeze the toothpaste tube. <laughs> I saw a thing online, and I, this is one of those fake news things where I, I, didn't, tra I didn't chase it. You know, normally a thing like this you're going to chase until you find some semblance of the truth. Because you do not have a day job. 
because I don't have a day job. And also I'm, I'm not going to just read something on Facebook and be like, hmm, but something went by and I didn't have time to chase it. But it said that some rabbis had decided that genetically or, or rather test tube meat, mm-hmm. test tube pork was kosher because because the animal itself had, did not have a cloven hoof. Because it did not exist. Because it so didn't exist. The question is, does the null animal, the zero animal, the null set of animals, does it have zero of the unkosher kind of hoof or zero of the okay kind of hoof? That's right. And I was like... It's an interesting Talmudic question. I, that was exactly it. I saw it and I, and I spent the rest of the day kind of having my own little uh, agatic rabbinical internal discussion about whether or not this was... Uh, it, in your head, you were having a rabbinic. I, I was. It was me and the other and the other members of my uh, of my school, and we were so my is, shul. So, is, so instead <laughs> of like an id, an ego, and a superego, do you have like a? Are the three parts of your brain like conservative, orthodox, and reform? <laughs> well, I, I like to think of myself as kind of in a shtetl environment, and it's just <laughs> there's one there's one rabbi, and then a bunch of students, you know, like a bunch of young guys all tussling for. You can take the the boy out of the Alaskan shtetl, but you can't take the shtetl out of the boy. But I but again, that could actually be some some total uh that could have been put in there by a Russian bot. It could be completely false, I don't know. This whole discussion started with you asking why uh, Guillaume de Chen was called Guillaume de Chen de Bologna. Right. He's actually not from Bologna, he's, Italy. He's from Bologna-sur-Mer on the coast of France. Oh, oh, okay. It's just his home village. Sure. Because that was a different time where you would actually say, hey, I'm uh, Greg from Norwich. You know, like that would be your name. Which Greg? Oh, yeah, Greg from Norwich. No, well, n- nobody does this except for like blues musicians. It was because we didn't, they didn't have patronymics or, or right. you know, like my family, uh, the Rodericks from Wales, Roderick was just a surname, or I'm sorry, it was just a first name. It was, so somebody was originally John son of Roderick. John son of Roderick, and the and the British came in with their pens and their paper, oh, and they said Co- colonizers. Yeah, colonizers, and they were like, "We're going to write your names down in a book." And you know, my ancestors took a break from chewing on rocks or whatever the Welsh did uh, at that time, not that long ago. Rubbing coal under their arms uh, for some reason, and they said, "Well, my, my name is." I can't even do a Welsh accent. I was. I'm not even going to try. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I, I have a Welsh accent. This is what it sounds like. Uh, my name is Roderick. Look, you. Is that yep. is that it? Oh, let's let's call it that. But it was yeah. My name is. Uh, write down, write down, Roderick. Look, you. John. My name is John, son of Ryderike, whatever. And the the whoever the colonizer was in his in his red coat with his fluffy hat was like John Roderick. Next. I guess college campuses might have some form of that, but it would be like something they wear. Is it like which Henry? Is it like? Oh yeah, sure. Is it like? Uh, Henry with the weird jacket. Is it Jeans Jacket Henry or oh. Handsome Henry or? We have that at my at my daughter's preschool. We have curly-haired Emma and straight-haired Emma. Oh, but then that gets rid of the old-timey uh, single initial, you know, where yeah. classes have Eric T, Eric R, and Eric S fighting it out. Sure, all the all the Emmas in the Spice Girls. I think blues musicians are the last ones who who is like, wait, which Sam? You mean Creole Sam or Delta or, uh, Sam? Boston or... Sam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's, uh, but uh, we don't have that in our age, but apparently Guillaume did. He was a groundbreaking he's been called the first french neurologist in fact um there were there are to this day there are five different myopathies or muscle diseases named after this guy because he invented many different kinds of ways to diagnose them he was the first to do a biopsy um, circa uh this is 19th century so he was doing his work in the in the mid 1800s um first to do electrotherapy like not some kind of weird 
mid 20th century uh, cuckoo's nest shock thing. But, but ele electrical stimulation of the muscle. Stimulating a muscle, realizing you could get a muscle to contract and you could use that for therapeutic reasons. Have, or you, for ever, have you ever had or, that? Have you ever uh, experienced that? Accidentally. Like reaching behind, reaching into my dad's Apple II when I was a kid. Like what would have been live? Why was the power source in there live? Well, there. Uh, I was trying to stick a card back in and, and hit something live. Electricity is retained inside the transformers and things huh. like that. So even when they're unplugged, there's still danger of. Well, the computer shot. was on, so I was an idiot. Oh, I see. But I was also a ten-year-old whose graphics card was loose, and you know, you just don't think when you're that age. No, you, you don't have the myelin Not on your nerve endings. No, when your graphics card is loose. <laughs> and yeah, it makes your hand jerk, and of course, that often kills people because your hand Seasons. tightens on the thing that's shocking it. That's why they say if you want to check and see if a fence is electric, we're giving good advice to the future here. I'll say. You touch it with the back of your of your fingers. Oh. Because then when you clutch, you, you clutch it, away. you pull away from the fence. I, I've had... Uh, I, I can't believe you don't know this from your shtetl upbringing. No, I stay away from all electric fences, but that's because I'm one quarter horse. <laughs> uh, I had electroconvulsive therapy, not convulsive, but you know, I had a, I had a knee rehabilitation and they put uh, electrodes on it and... They and just zap it. Zap it and your muscles all tense and clench. What does it feel like? Uh, it, you know, it's painful, but it's also pretty invigorating. I mean, it, it feels like pins and needles. It's a, is it a low level? Does it feel just like a, a carpet static electricity shock? You can turn it up, uh, but no, it's, it's <laughs> constant. <laughs> you can turn it up if you're like some masochistic. Well, if you're like uh, hello. Bill Murray in Little Shop of Horrors, more, more. That's me. One quarter horse. Uh, no, you you turn it on and it's continuous. I mean, it's like, bzzz, and your muscle is clenched until you turn it off. It's kind of extraordinary. And you actually can build muscle by doing it because it's, you know, it's working the muscle. It's just doing it. Uh, could you, like, instead of going to the gym, I could just like lie in bed at night with like. Being sh shot. Shooting my abs with low levels of electricity. I'm not sure how it would work, but I think, isn't that a scene in Rocky three? Aren't they electrocuting Vlad the Impaler or whoever his uh, opponent was, the Russian? Rocky four though. Oh, I'm sorry. Rocky four. Yeah, I think, well, he's getting all kinds of illegal help. So everything they do to him is supposed to look very sinister and, and Dr. Mengele ish. Right. Uh, Running on that treadmill while, while people in lab coats are staring at you. I always avoid that demo at the children's science museum where they're willing to run current through you and see what happens. And oh. I'm always just like, no pass. Like if you were a real scientist, you would not be doing the 1.30 p.m. demo at the Imaginatorium <laughs> or whatever. There are a lot of out-of-work scientists now. That person may have a Nobel Prize. Uh, Duchenne did a lot of work on facial physiognomy. We're finally getting around to the topic mm -hmm. of the show several hours later. Mm -hmm. He was a big influence on uh, Darwin. He was, his texts were, were very influential. And he was the first to note that people tend to smile in two different ways. Hmm. He noticed that there's one kind of smile that uses the zygomatic major, your cheek muscles, uh -huh. and that's driven by that. Uh -huh. And there's another one that comes from the ocularis orbis, the oh. muscles around the bottom of the eye. Oh. So the muscles give you a crow's, crow, kind of crow's feet when you squint in some way. Uh -huh. So it doesn't feel like this, but Duchenne's takeaway was that you, there's actually two totally different kinds of smile. Um, one that you do with your cheeks and one that you do with your eyes. And that observation was not really tracked down neurologically in a lab until 1982, Whoa. weirdly. But there's now been a lot of research done on these two kinds of smiles, and they tend to be called, the, the I one is called a Duchenne smile after its discoverer. The other kind is often called a Pan Am smile. 
which I think is hilarious. The, uh, the, the Pan, Pan American Airways? Named for the defunct airline, presumably whose flight attendants were friendly, but not overly so. Oh, I see. They were just kind of giving this smile, pow, pow, pow. A smile of duty, right. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. I see. So even like even in the uh, when scientists are naming stuff in the 80s or whenever this was, they're still falling back on the, you know, you need to smile more treatment of women, right? Like, <laughs> smile more genuinely, or I'll name something after you, <laughs> Elaine. The Pan Am smile. <laughs> so uh, it's called a Duchenne smile, uh, not because he coined it, but because in the 80s they were paying uh, respect. Backwards, so he, right? He was the first to uh, to have noticed the difference. It's not like he was always doing it, right? People, <laughs> people in his village were like, "Here comes Dushen, that smiling guy, like always. He smiles with his eyes, not cheeks." Well, they could uh, they could describe the Pan Am smile just as well uh, by calling it the Seattle smile because that's kind of characteristic of our region. I feel like we do something even less than a Pan Am smile. Like we do kind of, have we mentioned this on the show? I don't think so. It sounds like we've put this in the omnibus for just kind of a, it's almost a grimace. You know, yeah. somebody walks down the street to you and makes eye contact. And you're like, mm. I'm not going to smile. I'm from Seattle. Hi. But you acknowledge it by kind of widening your mouth. Yeah. Like, hmm. Hello. It's like you've seen a smile many years ago, but you're, <laughs> you've been on a desert island and you had a stroke on the desert island. Yeah. Yeah. It communicates like, oh, thank you for socially obligating me to make a face. You exist, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but other parts of the country uh, would, would do a, a, maybe a genuine Duchenne smile in that situation. 20% of people can consciously fake a, a Duchenne smile. Like they can, they can turn it on. So now let me get this straight. So a Duchenne smile, he, he's describing these two kinds of smiles, a, a mouth smile and an eye smile. And one of them is genuine and one of them is, is manufactured? One of them, can, yes, a Duchenne smile connotes a genuine feeling of pleasure, enjoyment, some kind of positive feeling. Uh, the Pan Am smile is smile as social signifier. Oh. I feel I should smile here. And now that we have, are studying these from the inside out, now that we have MRIs and stuff, we can see that they're mediated by totally different parts of the brain. The Duchenne smile comes from the limbic system where we feel emotion deep in our brain. The, the Pan Am smile. Pan Am smile comes from the motor cortex in oh. the surface. And in fact, you know, people who have, people who have a stroke, if you ask them to smile, they will be unable to smile with the side of their mouth that was damaged. Right. But if you tell a really hilarious light bulb joke or whatever, their faces, they will still smile from both sides uh -huh. because it can overcome the injury. It's coming from somewhere deeper than the part that was where the lesion is. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout 
there are some differences between the Duchenne smile. It's not just the uh, which muscles are doing it. A genuine smile is smoother. It's more symmetrical. It lasts longer. It doesn't turn off and on like the bye, 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 bye. And the cheeks are, are part of it too, but the eyes are moving in sync with the cheeks. Your whole face is doing it. Whereas with a Pan Am smile, your eyes can remain dead or cold or your eyes are actually communicating another emotion. Right. And, and it's not like the person sees that and is like, whoa. Right. Uh, from the nose up, they still hate me. But you're really, you're seeing, ah, this person is smiling at me. Message received. You're getting the benefit of it. And you don't, you know, you don't mind or get offended by the fact that, right, the eyes are not conveying pure enjoyment at your presence. But this is how uh, private detectives or empaths or people who are good at reading other people are able to detect like subtle variations in facial expressions because they really are coming from different places. And you can legitimately say like, mm, I don't trust that person or I don't think they like me. And everybody around you says, I'm, I'm asking for a friend. Everybody around you says, <laughs> no, they like you. What are you kidding? They're, they're really smiley with you. And you're like, mm, no, there's something about it. That's not right. Poker players, right. Who can see tells, you right. know, uh, being able to c convey the difference between the emotion you want to be seen in the one you're actually having. And apparently most people can't do it. 80% of people can't tell 80% of people can't put on the fake one. Oh, uh, you know, maybe with practice, I don't know, but I'm not saying they're incapable of it, but in general, it's only a small minority of people that can put over a smile just like a real one or can put over a, I've got a full house just like they're right. fake. Oh boy, this is a good hand expression. We're not as good at lying as we think. Is this also true of other facial expressions? Like, I mean, you don't need to have fake sadness that much, but I guess people do employ fake sadness. The social purpose of smiling and laughter are pretty well understood and are now thought to be evolutionary. Hmm. Like, you know, for, for frowning, it's hard to think what two chimps in a tree would frown at each other for. Like, <laughs> how does the how does the species survive if I can frown at you? Uh, two chimps in a tree. Well, it's like, uh, you know, you're picking, those are some of my favorite nits. Stop picking those nits. You know, you, you, you get the low grade nits. I'm saving those. The evolutionary basis for smiling and laughing, because there's Duchenne laughter as well. You know, there's kind of a, a, a laughter that's accompanied by a Duchenne smile and just the kind of mirthless laughter. <laughs> right. Yeah. And there's more of that than you, than you think, by the way. Um, I've actually been reading something about this because I have a book about comedy and humor that in our time, I think it's going to come out the very day this entry is added to the omnibus. Really? What a tremendous... Coincidence. Coincidence that you would have chosen the laughter smile topic. It was the last thing on my mind to yeah. uh, to mention it for some kind of crass commercialism or synergy purposes. So, you, so you've got a let, let's get let me get this straight. I'm writing this down. You've got a book coming out today. It's called. It's not today, you know, for our listeners, it's the distant past. But yes, the yes, day right. this entry is added to the omnibus, my book, Planet Funny. Oh, Planet is, Funny. Is available in stores. I have t-shirts from Planet Funnies all around the country. Yeah, that's my uh, failed comedy club chain restaurant <laughs> where you can see um, pages of uh, original Eddie Murphy gay bashing script in the lobby when you walk in. or Planet Funny Mobile, Planet Funny, you know, Atlanta. But I, I, I'm not here to talk about the book, John. No, 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 no. I just wanted to make sure it was entered into the omnibus so that in the future when... People when the, are, are wandering through the rubble of a Barnes & Noble. <laughs> when and the that's not the distant are, future. That's like uh, six months away. <laughs> <laughs> the streets are paved with old copies of Planet Money. They're trying to find the very... Planet Funny. I'm sorry, Planet Funny. <laughs> Planet Money, also a great show. A wonderful NPR show that we're not affiliated with, and but maybe we'll advertise now. Planet, Planet Funny, Planet Funny. 
uh, so I've been studying kind of the evolution of uh, humor and jokes. And the interesting thing is it appears to be a parallel evolution. There's now a strong theory by some guys out of Tufts that the evolution of humor is cognitive in basis uh-huh. that we needed as a, you know, as primitive hominids or primates, we, we needed to have some pleasurable feeling of reinforcement when we figured something out, uh-huh. when some little incongruity in our world was resolved. Like if uh, we stood on one side of the campfire and we got smoke in our face and we, you know, something had to make it pleasurable to figure out what was going on. And then, oh, I should move around to the side the wind's coming from and I'll stand there. Now we're doing the classic thing and we're going to get angry emails from people in uh, Kazakhstan because evolution works the opposite way or, or differently, right? It's not that we needed the ability, but that people who had the ability uh, had an advantage. Survived to reproduce. Right. Yeah. People for whom figuring things out was pleasurable would live to have kids. Yes. People who did not have that little jolt of, oh, that was fun. That when was they, fun. When they solved a little puzzle like, oh, if I move the vines, that's where the redder berries are. Or if I reach for the fish, I'm going to miss it by a few inches because the water diffract, refracts or whatever, you know? Right. Little everyday hunter-gatherer discoveries like that. I still find that that's true. I mean, I certainly seek out people who delight in discovery or an accident or in, in you know, who are capable of making fun of themselves or... You know, as opposed to somebody who's like, ugh, I have to move the vines to find the redder berries. <laughs> it's like, oh, I hope you don't survive to have kids, so although you, they so often do. So in addition to being judgmental of various world cultures on this uh, program, mm-hmm. you're judgmental of certain kinds of cavemen. Uh, there are a lot of cavemen I wish had not survived. They didn't. They and couldn't s- find the berries. Some of the, great ones, the, some of the great ones didn't survive. That's, uh, that's my assumption, at least. So it's much the same way. It's, you know, it's the same reason we find food or sex pleasurable, because yeah. the people who didn't enjoy that, like Morrissey, you know, don't, <laughs> they don't reproduce. He didn't. <laughs> didn't and doesn't. As far as, far as we know. <laughs> um, whereas the people who do get the, a little jolt of pleasure from that, and so that's where mirth or amusement comes from, huh. maybe, uh-huh. you know, um, because you survive better if you can solve those little puzzles. Yeah. And then how is that and, and connected we, to smiling? Well, smiling might be a different track. You know, smiling is often related to the, you know, we associate it with the bared teeth of a, of a, of a chimp, you know, going, ur, 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 right. which could be, you know, play some kind of playful, uh, combat. Like I'm, we're, you know, we're whacking on each other, but we're just juveniles having fun. Right. Um, there's also a kind of submiss- submissive right, and, posture and it could be submissive, right? right. Uh, it's a lot like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm giving you some kind of positive effect to end whatever is fraught in this interaction. Right. And so laughter could come out of that. It's, it could be, you know, the social signifier that comes from just the general whooping of playfulness when we were little baby ape men. Yes. And... People who study laughter today, there's a scientist named Robert Provine, he's a neuroscientist, who his whole field is laughter. He sends his grad students out to amusement parks and shopping mall food courts and has them just eavesdrop on people talking and has a whole little language to annotate their how and when and why they laugh. Like a like somebody in the Amazon recording down birdsong or, you know, really he's frogs got, chirping. He's uh, he's got his own musical uh, notation. Yeah, it's like musical notation for somebody laughing. And his findings could not be more counterintuitive because we think of laughter as such a joyful, spontaneous thing. And in fact, it's very regimented. 210 milliseconds between ha, between haws. Really? Yeah. So it, it pulses about five times a second, like a... <laughs> it, yeah, almost like, you know, it's, it's almost an, uh, a, a bodily thing, like an orgasm. It's a bump, 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 you huh, know? Huh. 
and it rarely or never interrupts speech. We're, we're very careful to, to plan a rhythm of it. It has perfect temporal symmetry. If you play a laugh backwards, you know, elsewhere in the omnibus, we've talked about how if you play Stairway to Heaven backwards, you start slicing up your sure, pets you and worshiping Satan. Kill your parents and play Dungeons and Dragons. But if you play a laugh backwards, you get a laugh. What, really? Yeah, the only difference is it doesn't trail off at the end. You get a Woody Woodpecker. Ah! Uh, 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 it still uh, uh, sounds like a laugh, but it's, you know, it trails in instead of out. Interesting. And do, do laughs carry uh, a, a distance or are they, are they, I mean, they're not like elephant trumpets. They're not meant to be used as a form of communication across the savannah. No, but they could be, you know, they could be across the, the burrow or the tree oh. or whatever. They're certainly like louder than speech and right. they, ha and they have, uh, you know, we, we believe that humor is tied up in mating rituals as well oh. because it's, uh, it's kind of a hard to fake measure of intelligence. It has been for me. <laughs> but you know, like on a first date, you can you can say I'm very smart or you can have some witty badinage with the waiter and that's a little more well, right. Convincing. And, and, and so often you come away from an, an encounter and the first thing you say about someone is they, they, you know, they have a sense of humor. Like they got me. Right. It's a, it's a, it's very definitely a, a, a way of encoding like uh, identity to another person. The funny thing is there's a gender gap there though. Like when, when women say, oh, he's funny, they mean he made me laugh. And when a man says, she's funny, what that means is she laughed at my jokes. Yeah, right. <laughs> so the male often thinks of himself as the performer in this ritual. Well, but I think when you ask women what their preferred traits in a potential man are, like sense of humor is really high. Yeah, like I think it often is ahead of uh, things like uh, handsomeness or wealth. looks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sense of Not humor. Wealth. Don't be crazy. Sense of humor is way, way up there. But if you ask men what they're looking for in a woman, like sense of humor is not generally the number one thing. And they're not aware of this. You know, the people answering those surveys would be thinking, <sighs> you know, that just, that just makes me feel good when somebody makes me laugh when we're out and having a good time. But you know, the, the evolutionary background might be, that was a way to find sure. who's the smartest Sure, Maid who's going to, you know, keep us alive through the winter and it's have smart cubs. Yeah. Exactly. Big feathers. Um, and a lot of Provine's findings are about that kind of social value of laughter. For example, this is crazy. A speaker laughs 46% more than his listeners do or her listeners. Really? Isn't that nuts? Really? So you imagine someone saying something funny and then everyone laughing. No, the speaker is kind of laughing just to apparently to denote a certain kind of non-threatening attitude or mean or... I really have to question that. I'm going to look at that more carefully. People should listen to the omnibus very closely and see if I laugh at my own jokes more than you laugh at my jokes, which is I almost certainly almost, true. Almost certainly true. 46% more, I think. <laughs> <laughs> We're both laughing now, so we have to throw out this one. This is a weirder one. 80% of laughter in the wild does not follow humor. Is it nervousness? What is it? You, what, what's it accompanying? Yeah, it could be nervousness. I mean, that's cultural, right? right. Uh, kind of the, the Asian cultures often use a kind of a titter to connote, you know, I'm, I'm nervous in the scenario. Right. Nothing funny happened. But I think we do it too in Western culture, and we're just not aware of how we're just using it to express, here's a remark by which I mean nothing, or, right. uh, you know, this whole second language we're not even aware of that's going on somewhere in our hindbrain. Sure, don't mind me. Right. Or... Uh, yeah, all the awkward, the awkwardness of I'm just going to scooch by you here in the lunch line or, oh, I dropped my 
I dropped the salt shaker, like all that, you would laugh, wouldn't it's, you? Yeah, it's two baby bonobos doing that, <laughs> so that so that their parents can see that that's play combat, you know? Right. Um, even the of the you know eighty percent of laughs don't follow humor, and of the ones that do, essentially, almost none of them, almost zero of them follow actual humor, the kind you would want to remember and tell someone later. It really is just like mildly playful. You had to be there, kind of stuff. This one's a little, I guess this is all stuff you would just know by listening to podcasts that, you know, most laughs don't follow actual humor. Speakers laugh more than listeners. We now have a whole medium based on this vibe. Um, 30, we laugh 30% more with others than when we're alone. Sure. Although so, I do laugh alone all the time at, at foibles mostly. Your own little foibles. Yeah. You that's, your, that's your brain evolving. That's that humor uh, instinct kicking in. <laughs> you open the, that box and it's like, oh, look at this. I've been saving drink tickets and I f wasn't even really fully conscious. Ah, you're not laughing at John. You're laughing at past John. I'm not laughing at past John. I do it all the time. Past John is hilarious. Past John is hilarious. A lot of times past John is inconsiderate because if he had done just a couple of simple things, present John would have a much easier go of it. Right? If past John had made coffee... Present John would have would not have to make coffee. But Present John's not laughing at that. He's annoyed. He's annoyed, but the thing is, Present John is so annoyed that he's not going to make coffee for future John. Screw that guy. I'm most aware of uh, past Ken when I get back to a buffet to my seat and I see what past Ken got for me to eat. And I'm like, nothing about this arrangement of food appetizes me in any way. <laughs> yeah, what was past what, Ken What was thinking? past Ken spooning up here? Like, he thought I'd want two ladles of that and only one ladle of that? <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, it, well, the listeners now are listening to past Ken and past John. Right. They're equally annoyed by both of us. Well, we're, try we're trying to prepare a show that will be interesting to future beings. Who knows if we've succeeded? We, uh, so I guess just typing LOL is a lie because... No one is laughing out loud. Almost no one is laughing out loud. You I, should put a small smile. No one is rolling ass. on the floor basically, laughing. You, sh you should write ass, basically, a small smile. That's... That's pretty much what you're doing. Although I have on a few occasions written literally LOL, meaning I actually laughed out loud. That's how LOL has become so downgraded. Yeah. Li or I guess it could be LLOL, literally laughed out loud. But then when that starts to mean lol. I find you amusing, then you just have to keep adding L's. Lol, 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 lol. Uh, that, that, that's interesting how that has become a form of tech speech, L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L, which is insensible, laugh out loud, out loud, out loud, out loud, out loud, but it's taken on a kind of monomic quality, right? That num number of alls correlates to... But it's that, but it kind of ha it, it suggests yes. a sound. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, that's my theory. It's the pulses of laughter. Like the, the 210 millisecond pulses are being mimicked on your screen by the O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L. Uh, well, that idea that the, the faces we make or the sounds we make can actually affect the feeling we're having, you know, the, the, the number of OLs we type could actually... Sure. Uh, that's, a, that's a real thing, the FFH, the facial feedback hypothesis. Mm. Are, you, are you aware of this? The idea that it's not... Our, face, our facial expressions are not just affected by our emotions, but there could be a feedback loop where they actually change or, or reinforce or even change them. I think that's absolutely true. I, I, I mean, there are a lot of books, uh, like self-helpy style books, positivity books that, that encourage you to smile because it actually creates, I don't know what, endorphins, or it, it creates that feedback loop where smiling begets smiling. And, and it's not the other way around. Frown, or frowning certainly doesn't make you want to get up and, and run around the house. 
that kind of self-help idea that, you know, you need to smile first. I feel like we see it most in our history, you know, at sad times when people weren't smiling a lot, like all that, let your smile, let a smile be your umbrella stuff. That's great depression era. Right. And the Chaplin song, smile. Put on a happy face. Right. I, I kind of associate all that with, you know, 20s Dust Bowl America. And then in the 70s, right? Oil, economic crash, oil shortage, Carter, Malays, Malays. America. That's when we've got those little smiley faces. Oh, smiley buttons. And I feel like Ziggy and Snoopy and all these little cartoon people were always telling us to smile in posters and little cheaply printed hardcover books. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Ken. Exactly. That's a perfect 70s expression. Of Which is so wrong. Love means saying you're sorry. Constantly. A lot. And, um, and trying to make it genuine. Like being alone. <laughs> Being alone <laughs> laughing at past John's antics means never having to say you're sorry. Right. Because oh, no, I mean, who are you saying it to? I'm saying it to future John. Sorry, I'm not making coffee again. I just opened this thing of candlesticks <laughs> out of the piano and I'm not going to throw them away again. Too bad for you. Sucks to be you, future FJ. Um, but uh, I guess in the 70s, do you feel like um, kind of the forces of authenticity that came out of that were a reaction to that? Like I'm thinking about children's TV and... Uh, Oscar the Grouch actually being grumpy and not one of these smiley kids show romper room hosts. Yeah, he was he was fun and subversive because he dared to have a, another emotion. It, his shtick was he would yell at yeah. you. He would say, get out. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of 70s parents must have been like, whoa, 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 that's not a good role model. I, you know, I, rem I was a child of Sesame Street and I remember delighting in Oscar the Grouch's contrarianism. It feels a little transgressive. Really, really big time considering, I mean, all the Muppets or all the, the Sesame Street Muppets were a little bit fringy in their behavior, right? Bert like, had a lot of anxiety. And Ernie's really kind of genuinely pranking him a lot. Right. Super anarchic. And Cookie Monster is, is he's, insane. He's uh, just some kind of hedonist. Total addict. Epicure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Addictive personality. And then Grover is childlike and, and uh, you know, and simple without being dumb. There's even an anxiety one. Telly is like some kind of anxiety muppet. Oh, I guess Bert already was. Yeah, we're getting in, like once you cross over into Elmo land where the right. Noi Muppets live. It's kind of driven by marketing rather it's than so Freud Freudianism. Yeah. We had the good Muppets in our day that were driven by a, Fro <laughs> a Freudian psychotherapist idea of children's <laughs> archetypes. But it, but it worked. I mean, it was, you're right, that there, it was novel to approach a child and say like, that you can feel bad. And Mr. Rogers whole stick was just like every episode. Like we think of him as this kind of sunny neutered guy. But if you actually grew up watching Fred Rogers, every episode was like, are you sad? Cause your mommy and daddy throw crockery at each other. Yeah. That's, okay. That's Any, okay. Anybody would, I'm, I'm here for you. Like, like that, Mr. Rogers is really grappling with serious and dark emotions. He was, and he, he was not afraid, you know, Fred Rogers was not afraid to get in there and go all the way. Right. If you could, um, does your PP not work? <laughs> it's okay. Why are you why are you turning Fred Rogers? Why are you corrupting Fred Rogers by imagining him <laughs> talking as a sex to, therapist? Talking to 70-year-olds. <laughs> he really gets in there and goes all the way. No, John, he's not a, a skeevy guy at a 70s orgy. He's a he's a delightful pastor type. He, when you compare that with like, you know, the, ha I, I had a happy cereal bowl where Snoopy would tell me right. cute kind of anodyne messages about happy, what happiness really was. 
And then I would look up over that cereal bowl and Mr. Rogers would be like, did somebody you know died? Yeah, me too. You'll never see them again, but you know, you can remember them. And I'd be like, geez. Well, no, no, no one ever lost money betting on how messed up 70s childhoods were. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this idea is true. I guess I, we kind of got far afield there uh, in a, wallowing in our own nostalgia. Yeah. But uh, the idea, there is evidence for this facial feedback hypothesis. The first to notice it were like Charles Darwin and William James. Interesting. In the 19th century, you know, this idea that I bet facial you know, emotions are not the soul affecting your face, but there's actually something mechanical going on there. And you can really see why Darwin was such a threat to every institution, because he's not just the guy saying, hey, what if Genesis 2 is not literal? <laughs> like, he's actually saying... All these things that you think of as in life as divine fruits of the soul, what if there's a rationalistic explanation for them and it's just hormones squirting and neurons arcing and muscles twitching? Well, and that's the... That's, and that's your brain. That's what made Darwin so dangerous too and legitimately dangerous because it introduced the idea, all the social Darwinism where you, you realize, oh, if none of this is predestined, then we can just shape and build ourselves. We can just will to power ourselves into anything we want to be. It seems so close to a happy office motivational poster that you can be whatever you want to be. Yeah, who's the strongest? They could. They should just take over. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not quite what he's saying. It turns dark very quickly. You can't just smile your way into... But I, I feel like there even was a book like Smile Your Way to Success. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. So there are different forms of this FFH hypothesis. There's the weak and the strong form. The weak would be, uh, I can you know, make negative or positive emotions stronger by smiling or frowning. The strong form is I can actually create specific emotions in myself, huh. guilt, fear, embarrassment, disgust, by practicing joy, those faces. just by doing that face. And it turns out they're both true. Like the strong form is true. That's wow. how, that's how actors can, you know, what do actors say? Get in the moment yeah, or yeah. whatever. Or me method. Yeah. Like when they can actually make themselves cry, it's because they did a sad looking face and that triggered the I'm sad part of their brain. And then tears just started flowing. So when Daniel day Lewis lives in a drainage culvert for six months, preparing for a role in his new movie, my left culvert <laughs> he, uh, in which he plays a prodigy culvert. He maybe doesn't need to do all that. He could just sit in his room and make, make the face of someone living in a drainage culvert. Right. You don't have to go be a, a cobbler in Tuscany for six months. Just look at some video of a cobbler's face, mm -hmm. like a careful look. Maybe you put Ugh. a needle in the corner of your mouth if you have to, Ugh. and then just, yeah, do that for a month. Just cobbling. 
And you would probably become a great cobbler. Like you could probably be an expert cobbler just by doing the facial expression. You know, there's a contemporary situation that's really kind of of the moment now, which is, and I'm, I'm going to use some nomenclature that is admittedly, uh, there's language associated with this idea that's kind of a slur, very definitely a slur, but there is the notion now. I love when I, I think you're going to say something incredibly racist on a recording forever. <laughs> Everyone can feel the tension in the in the internet uh, tussle between the alt right and the alt left. Oh, if it's political, that's okay. Obviously, yeah. everyone who disagrees with us politically will be dead by they're, the time they're, we right. listen to this. They're long gone, and now it's just like o the... only only every idea we believe has survived. <laughs> but there is a there's a new epithet uh, called the soy boy ah, smile. Right. Are you familiar with this? It's a kind of a a, a defanged, gormless kind of a in inconsequential male uh, an inconsequential male who's uh, who's yeah like a lefty liberal who eats vegetarian food and a and supposedly the soy the estrogen in soy has denudered the or neutered rather the his alphaness right the connotation is not that he's a thoughtful passenger no. on spaceship earth he is a weak man yeah, who is beta. bad for the species but there is a smile associated with this, this supposed type uh, which is a wide, open-mouthed, like uh, the face you would make if you were making a yelp, like a oh, I see, big with big, big eyes, like like it's a it's a wide enough smile that it does crinkle the eyes and has a kind of authenticity, uh, uh, the appearance of like like total delight, like <gasps> but it's faked. And if you Google, uh. I think like anything like soy boy smile or new new male smile. Well, you'll see these montages, and this is fairly recent in internet culture. These montages of you know bearded guys in their thirties all making this face, and it's contemporaneous. It's it's meant to be a an analog to the duck face, mm. but it's uh, another. It's, name. it's a selfie face, basically. Yeah, another name for it is the cuck face. Ah. So it's a selfie face, but, and actually my friend Will Wheaton is often uh, used as an exemplar of the, uh, uh because soy, soy he's made smile. entirely of, he's of made of tofu. Soy. Yeah. Yes. He has no skeleton. He's a, 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 an outspoken liberal with a beard who lives in Hollywood. And of course the, the, the big meanies on the other side of the political spectrum really like to single him out. It's true a, that now that I picture Will Wheaton, I can totally see that face. That big, that big smile, the big like open, uh, big eyes, big, big mouth. It's interesting because it's, pr it's probably a non-Duchenne smile because you're uh, implying that it's a put on used for a certain social signification. I'm one of these guys and I'm happy to have my picture taken with you. Right. Um, but it, it, it's, it's actually more exaggerated than a, uh, authentic smile, not more restrained. Way more like that. Like mm. it, you would be, you would be hard pressed to look at those smiles and think, that anything in real life could have generated them. So they're signifying something else. And I, my, my, my pal Dave Bazan from the band Pedro the Lion started doing it a long time ago uh, because he, he noticed he was taking pictures with fans every day. And then the fans would post those pictures online. And he saw picture after picture, day after day of himself standing there kind of not Do, doing the same, not unhappy, but just impassive, right? You know, like, hey, here I am with a fan, like, you know, kind of a 
take the damn picture. Yeah, it's like a, a little bit of a, a Pan Am smile over mm-hmm. and over. And he realized he just didn't like seeing that representation of himself. I see that too. In the moment, you feel like you're doing a, a very polite smile. Yeah. And then you see all the pictures and you're like, that's what people, that's their memento of me. Yeah. And, and, and also when people are posting those pictures publicly and you see them compiled, you realize, oh, anybody can see these too. And if you Google my face, you're going to see this like dead smile over and over. It, it's not a good look. So Dave, if you, if you Google Dave Bazan taking pictures with his fans, and he's been doing this for five years at least, he does this same thing, like this crazy bright-eyed, open mouth, like almost like he's about to eat your face smile. And at first I was like, wow, bold, you know, like cool life hack. But when you see a hundred of those put next to each other <laughs> and you know, of course the fan you is just, just standing there like, I'm happy to be here with Dave is And Dave's like, Rah! <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a problem that there's no solution. All of those federal, the lion fans were eaten by Dave slightly <laughs> after those pictures, like just seconds after those pictures were taken. Um, the, uh, the tests that have been done on the, uh, on facial feedback have been for sufficiency, monotonicity and necessity. Hmm. Sufficiency can, a smile alone make you feel better. Answer, yes. Uh-huh. No other feedback required. Monotonicity. Uh, does a smile always correlate with negative and uh, uh, unpleasant expression always correlate with the negative expression? Positive versus negative. Yes, that's true. They do co-vary that way. Interesting. But necessity is not true. It is not necessary to smile to feel happy. Many of the oh. people you see not smiling are feeling very happy on the inside. So please do not stop a woman on the street and say, <laughs> hey, it's a nice day. Smile, toots. Right. Because she could be very happy according to the facial right. feedback hypothesis. She could start being unhappy the moment you do that. She could be unhappy enough to take out her, her mace and you would probably <laughs> deserve it. But there's there's crazy implications of this kind of stuff. You know, part of which is just the self-help thing. If I feel bad, you know, let's let's change my face and see if I, I put on a happy face. Right. Which I guess kind of does empower people that are always doing that to you know, people with depression or anxiety, like, Hey, have you tried just being happier? Yeah. Like that's a terrible thing to tell someone with depression or anxiety, but, um, you know, the facial feedback hypothesis says to those people, it's one treatment to try. In my own uh, battles with depression, I have tried smiling, uh, when I didn't feel like it and it does work. Uh, the problem with depression is that the way it works is that it is even contemptuous of feeling better. <laughs> so you're like, great. Now so I like, feel better. Yeah. Uh, okay, great. It works. Like great. Pro- a feeling of joy. <laughs> the problem Just is what I needed. The problem is not that I couldn't feel joy. The problem is that I don't deserve to feel joy. Do you ah, not understand? Right. So yeah, sure. Great. Put some like artificial joy on me. It doesn't help. That's a great point. That's something I didn't understand until I was an adult. The depression is not just an extreme feeling of sadness. It's a totally separate thing that can, that layers over yeah. emotion. Yeah. It's a feeling that, that, uh, you feel awful and that's your just desserts. But another treatment that is now used for depression based on this is Botox. Whoa. If I can numb the muscles that are associated with frowning, for example, so that they, I can't move them or feel them, get no sensory feedback from them, can't move them as easily, I will feel less sad. And that is actually true. This wow. works. No. You can treat OCD by shooting Botox into somebody's uh, nasal muscles, the kind you wrinkle up when you feel disgust. And it will actually limit the disgust reaction and uh, lessen the symptoms of OCD. Wow. So this is a a crazy treatment that is now being unveiled. This is bananas. And it probably implies that Nicole Kidman has felt no actual (laughs) emotion at all since the race car scenes in Days of Thunder. Like, those were literally the last ones. So plastic surgery can actually create a self. 
uh, or or modify a self. Like Michael Jackson could have not just have been. Uh, oh, that's true. Ig- not just exhibiting his inner whatever ter- turmoil on his face, but his face could have been reciprocating. It could have been the other way around. Yeah, he's changing his face in order to feel those emotions differently. The more he looks like Diana Ross, like the the farther he is from his actual self. Right, although I cannot imagine anyone who would want to feel like Diana Ross. She doesn't seem like she's been happy her whole life either. No, that's true. You think you're just getting the look, and right. this is like a Twilight Zone episode. Whoa. You're, you're actually becoming a little bit of Diana Ross from the cheekbones in. Uh, I was watching, this is apropos of nothing, but I was watching a movie last night where Danny Glover literally never smiled. And I was like, what an interesting choice. He's always covering his teeth and he's doing this kind of weird glowering thing, you know, like because actors will have a set to their face and they think they're a whole new person. Now they'll be doing that trick. And then at one point in the movie, he actually smiled and you could see he had Invisalign. So basically it was just a, it was a 50 set movie and Danny Glover had braces. So John Sales wouldn't let him smile. <laughs> Mystery solved. <laughs> there are, uh, you know, now that we know about the Duchesne smile, there's, there's interesting things you can do. Like a, a lot of work has been done looking at yearbook photos. The, the seminal study done in 1958 on a Mills College yearbook. They looked at 114 people, correlated their smile with whether or not it was a Duchenne smile or a Pan Am smile. And then they caught up with them in their late 20s and their 40s and their 50s to see if that had any effect on their life. And it did. Wow. The, uh, the people who were doing Duchenne smiles for their yearbook photos actually did have uh, reported more satisfaction with their lives, longer lasting marriages, less likely to divorce, better health outcomes. Um, so there appears to be a sense in which an authentic Duchenne smile, even in a yearbook, I'm not saying it'll change the kind of future you have, but it correlates with uh, the kind of life satisfaction and happiness you might feel. So it, 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 from an evolutionary standpoint, it's possible, almost not possible, it's probable that we are in the midst of an evolutionary moment where gradually people who Pan Am smile will be less successful in reproducing and we are on our way to creating, or not creating, but we are on our way to evolving into a species where everyone Duchenne smiles, has a great sense of humor, and is happy all the time. Like depression and sadness are such an evolutionary disadvantage. Right. Like those people aren't going to reproduce. Yeah. And when I say those people, I mean me. Um, but, but, and I have reproduced. So take that future. Wow. You're really, uh, you're really <laughs> making sure those depression genes get carried on. The problem is that my daughter is very happy. She's a happy, happy little person and does not. That's not a problem. Although she did say to me the other day, that that day was the worst day of her life. And it was because I, because she got into the Girl Scout cookies and ate a tube of them and I was upset with her. That's actually good if uh, that's the worst day of your life. You <laughs> ate, I ate too many cookies. Yeah. Can you believe that? And Dad is mad at me. That's what I said to her. If this is the worst day of your life. I guess we do eat tubes, uh, food out of tubes in this country, but they're, they're Girl Scout cookies. Yeah, we eat a lot of food out of tubes. I guess so. We're ex- it's like we're explaining a vestigial trait. Yeah. To our future listeners. They, uh, the Pan Am smile will gradually fade out of existence. And I'm sure it's, it's like we're explaining a, an appendix or tonsils or a vestigial tail. Well, though it may not because the Pan Am smile, at least in our culture, is a, is a form of social lubrication. I see people all the time at, at uh, elementary school 
uh, fundraising auctions, for instance, it's all Pan Am smiles, not a single Duchamp yeah, smile. Yeah, the, the P in PTA stands for Pan Am smile. I keep saying Duchamp smile, and it's not that, although that would be a great other smile. They should be called the Duchamp smile and the douchebag smile. <laughs> and that concludes Duchenne Smiles. Entry 385.PR1513. Certificate number 42013 in the Omnibus. Listeners, in the unlikely event that any of you frowny faces have survived to the future. You think only frowny people will be on social media in the future? Yeah, because why would a happy, why would a Duchenne smile person or thing be on Twitter? Only a, only a sadomasochist. There's no reason. None uh, of these people, you know, now that I think about it, we're not talking to anyone who smiles at all. Like they have uh, their tentacles glow mm. green when they're experiencing a positive state and yellow for a negative state or something. Sure, the wind, does the wind blow through the aspens or does do the aspens create the wind? Ah, that's mm. a Zen Cohen about the facial feedback hypothesis, mm. I think. Mm. Uh, but if you do want to go back in time and see how miserable we were... <laughs> Uh, you can uh, you can find us everywhere at Omnibus Project, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Also, Ken Jennings and John Roderick each have their own Twitter accounts, and I have an Instagram account. Log in and see the uncomfortable faces we made standing next to fans. I almost never do a big soy boy smile. It's just not in my thing, and partly it's because... Is it because you're missing a tooth right now? I'm missing a tooth, but also, even when I'm not missing a tooth, like, I'm just not a teeth bearer. I think you should bear the teeth, in uh, the, especially missing one. Like, mm-hmm. that's a memento, like, like somebody feels like they met a, yeah. a, a pirate or a, <laughs> or a, a you know, a, an old-timey circus strongman or Arr. something. Uh, Also, you can send us email either from the present or uh, your future self can send it to your past self. We have an acronal uh, email server. It costs a lot more. but (laughs) Don't talk to us about time travel. (laughs) Uh, And that is omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. We will answer those uh, emails and our our non-corporeal forms that survive to infinity will answer your future emails. That's nice of us. That's nice of future Ken and future John. Yeah, we're pretty good. Past future. Ken and John were dicks. But they were they were dicks. Even present Ken and John are dicks. But future Ken and John are so good at answering email. Uh, also, we have a fan group on Facebook called the Omnibus Futurelings. Listeners, uh, from our vantage point in your distant past, where we still did Pan Am smiles, we have no idea how long our civilization was going to survive. Uh, we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come because that would really dampen all kinds of smiling forever. Yeah, but if the worst does come soon, this very entry, this recording, like all these recordings, might be our last word to you. But we hope that's not true. We hope that Providence will allow us to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.